Hey everyone, Justin here with White Tail Theories Podcast. On the mic, I have a special guest today. It is Colin Kitt. Colin is out of Nebraska. He's one of our field staff members. He's been with ServiceSide for a few years now, and he actually just got back about a day or two ago from Hawaii on a bow hunt. Um, so we were talking back and forth on his trip um, before he left, while he was leaving, uh, and on his way back. And we're like, hey, we got to get a podcast, especially since it's so fresh in your mind and you just, you literally just slept last night for the first time. So, um, what's going on, man? How you doing? Ah, uh, tired, but feeling good. <laughs> yeah, like we, were, like we were talking about last night, we're like that first day after a trip is like the day you sleep for a while, you eat a ton of food, you don't really do much. <laughs> yeah, it's that layover at LAX, not sleeping there, that was rough. Oh man, that's that's crazy. Well, we're gonna dive right into it, man. I'm super excited to hear about this adventure, especially since you just got back. So, real quick, um, you've done a few podcasts with us, Colin. Um, but just a quick summary. Tell me, listeners, uh, a little bit about yourself. Um, you know what kind of hunting you do, and um, you know, kind of like your expertise there, and uh, then we'll dive right into that that Hawaii trip. Um, I primarily hunt mule deer with a bow, spot and stock. Um, I dabble in rifle stuff here and there. I kind of got out of that pretty heavy five years ago and pretty much stuck strictly to my bow. I've been on one whitetail hunt my entire life. And then I dove into this axis hunting pretty hard. Nice, nice. And that, that your first whitetail hunt was actually with another service side member, Gabe uh, Denzine. You guys did a, did a hunt link, right? Yep, in Missouri. Nice. That's awesome. And then he came to Nebraska and hunted with you. Yep, he's been here twice now. Oh, okay. trying to get it done. Nice. Nice, man. Hey, you know what? I've done many a hunt links and sometimes it takes two or three times, but when you finally get it, it's nice and it's always some of the best experiences. Oh, yes, without a doubt. I would recommend it to anybody that wanted to try it. So, Colin, avid bow hunter, what made you want to go to Hawaii? Well, the way it all kind of started out is kind of funny. Um, I got a notification from Go Hunt that their tag deadlines were that same day, and it was only $10 to apply for a Hawaii access tag and a MUFON sheep tag. So I I put it in thinking there's no way I'm going to draw this tag. It's probably, you know, a 1 in 100 chance I draw it. Um, end up drawing the tags and thought there's no way I'm going to be able to fly to Hawaii and actually get a good hunt in. Um, my friend applied with me. He also drew a tag. We, uh, as time got closer, we actually realized we could kind of get it done. We had the money to buy our flights and get our place to stay. Um, but our only problem was we didn't apply as a group. So in Hawaii, you can actually apply as a group. So you all get the same season because they don't have a deer season like we do, like in the main 48. Um, they're actually split up to like a four-day session with like 60 other hunters. And they split that up throughout the year. So not everybody sees it at one time. Oh, I got you. I mean, that's similar to Florida. Uh, that's how our hunting is. You get, you know, anywhere from a three, two to three to four day quota permit for a certain area. They only have a certain amount of hunts or um, you'll get a week or two. But it's it's varies. You know, you can't just come to Florida and public land hunt. Not at the beginning of the season. So, uh, so when we, we priced out tags. 
but when we realized that we didn't think we could go because we drew different days. But I got into contact with a guy in Hawaii that I met through a mutual friend that actually just moved to Colorado from that island I was on. And you can actually hunt half of the island is owned by one company, which would be the Pineapple Brothers. They own one half of the island. And you can actually hunt their private side of the island year round. You just have to pay sort of like a trespass fee. Oh, okay. With a rifle, it was like $364 for a day of hunting. But for a bow, it was only $100 for the whole year. So that's when I decided I was on the private side of the island, pay my $100 for the year, buy my hunting license, and I'll just go over there and bow hunt, and he could do his rifle season. So, so far we're at, what, a $10 tag? I'm just trying to keep track of the price here. We got a $10 tag um, to apply, and then it was $100 a day to bow hunt? $100 for the year. Oh, for the year. So you're at $110 right now. Now, what were you looking like as far as your flight? Now, obviously, flights have drastically changed. uh, Yeah, so our flights skyrocketed as soon as we started looking. And so we booked them as soon as we could. It's a little over $1,000 apiece for our tickets. Okay, so a little over $1,000. And then that was the – now, that was probably – was that the most expensive part of the trip was the the logistics to get there? Yes, that was by far the most expensive all right, so about a thousand dollars, and then it was a hundred dollars to to bow hunt it for a year, and then now, I mean, the good thing about the bow hunting it for the year is, you know, there are times where you can get those cheap Hawaii flights where they'll be like, hey, you know, for this weekend only, you can, you know, for a couple hundred dollars. So at least that kind of opens the door that if if airlines do have any any cheap flights, yeah, you're free to, to go, go back for the whole year. That's legit. Now. We had talked on the phone since we're kind of talking about expenses. Um, you know, obviously you're an avid bow hunter, so the price really didn't. That wasn't really your your uh, you know deterrent or anything like that. You wanted to yeah. bow hunt anyways, but you know, as far we talked on the phone about, you also had some hidden fees. Kind of, if you could, just off the top of your head, okay. what were some things you had to pay extra for? Um, so you can't camp on the island if you're hunting. Um, it's actually illegal. You can't camp with a weapon. So you have to book a place to stay. Now, the only hotel there is about $2,000 a night because it's a resort. So you have to rent kind of like Airbnb style, except there's no Airbnbs. You just have to talk to enough people there that you get names and numbers to call. And there's no, you can't rent vehicles there because the only vehicles they have renting are not allowed to be hunted with. So you have to also rent somebody's private vehicle. So for us, we got lucky and we found a guy that was the cheapest by far. We actually stayed in his garage in Cots, but she had like a bathroom and like a shower in there. So it's like a little cabin kind of thing. That was only $40 a night. Oh, nice. But to rent a pickup, the cheapest we found was also him, and that was 130 a day. Now, and to rent the pickup, so you couldn't, well, you had to just go like get bussed out there in the pickup and then come back, or? So we landed at the airport. There's a little tiny airport. You take a little bush plane in there. Um, he actually left that pickup at the airport for us and told us where the keys were. And then we just drove to where we were staying and then started hunting immediately. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. And you were there for what, a week? About a week, yeah. The first to the ninth. All right, cool, cool. Um, so, man, so let me ask you. That, I mean, that's a, you're talking about, you know, speaking with locals and – uh, you know, a lot of stuff that probably wasn't 
I guess, foreseen before. How did you go about like doing that? Did you do it over the internet or did you just do it when you got there? Um, everything was pretty much worked out before we got there. So my one contact that I gained in Hawaii was a lifesaver. And then he gave me some numbers and then you just keep calling places until you get the names and numbers you need. So, I mean, we had weeks of work before the hunt of just nonstop calling people. Oh, okay. I got you. Just trying to get everything lined up. And then it's also very hard because it's a new hunt to non-residents of Hawaii because it used to be just for residents only to hunt the island. So a lot of this is pretty new where the regulations are very hard to read. Um, Onyx isn't exactly updated over there, so you can't see your units on Onyx. They have these little printed out paper maps that you have to kind of draw your lines on Onyx to where you, you're pretty sure your unit ends. So, I mean, hopefully that'll get fixed in the future. They're kind of talking about it when I was asking. Um, but it's such a new thing that there's a lot of things that made you feel very iffy. Right, right. No, for sure, man. I mean, it, that's kind of hard to uh, get real close on a on a boundary line when you, especially, I know it's still, a, you know, a United State, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's an island in the middle of nowhere. So like you mentioned, and you can't camp with weapons, you can't hunt with vehicles, you can't, uh, you know, it sounds like, it almost sounds like it's more of a vacation, you know, cater to vacations and such than, than to hunting. Yeah. Well, there's two big resorts in the island. They're owned by the same company, the same resorts, but there's different areas of the island. That's that island's main thing. So, like, this hunting thing for non-residents is super new. So, it was it was experience for us and then everybody else that was involved with us helping us. And Yeah, it definitely sounds like a team effort. Let me ask you, how, like, how did you... Like, you just literally just net. I mean, because we, we do have some server side members out here in Hawaii, but they were on a different island than you. So I don't know if they were much help or not. But did you just, it was literally just you networking to get this done? Yeah, a lot of phone calls and, you know, make sure you're polite and respectful to everybody. And I mean, the locals were super awesome there. Everybody I met was super helpful. Super, they're even, I don't know, they're super welcoming. Oh, okay. Well, that's something good. that's you no, know, you get worried about. Yeah, no, I mean, with all the stuff you're telling me, that would definitely be a, a worry that I would have also is like, am I one in here? Like, am I taking away resources from, you know, people that live here? Do do we get the same feeling that you hear people say when they're like, oh man, out of staters coming to hunt my. Coming to hunt yeah, that's my, my biggest worry. Like, Nebraska's really bad about it. Like, you show up at out of state plates at public land, somebody's going to yell at you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's that's awesome, man. I love to hear that it was welcoming. Now, we had talked before. You said this is kind of like the hunting island. This is where a lot of the hunting gets done. Yeah, so like a lot of like you can go back and watch like a John Dudley, Joe Rogan, Cameron Haynes, Remy Warren. All their hunts are on Lanai. Oh, okay, cool. This is like their hunting desk. Like it's the best hunting you can get to overall experience-wise. Maui has bigger access here from what I was told. Um, but it's very hard to actually hunt on Maui. It's mainly privately owned. Um, but this is like some of the best all-around hunting. And they told me it's actually the only place in the U.S. that has purebred mouflon sheep still. Even the other islands are across now. I got you. Now I'm gonna. This is gonna be. Hope, well, I'll separate this, but it's it's kind of a question that is kind of a two-parter. So, what species? were you wanting to hunt 
on that island? I know you had got uh, the tag, but were you able to hunt anything else or you were specifically only able yeah, to hunt? Yeah, so I actually didn't use my tags at all. I didn't end up buying them. So at the private, you don't have to have any tags. And you can shoot an unlimited amount while you're there. Oh, okay. So I could go there and shoot one axis or ten if I wanted to. Granted, you have to remember you have to fly them home. Or if you don't want to fly them home, everybody there will gladly take me. If you, you know, didn't have a lane to fly a bunch home or if that's something you weren't into. But I could shoot as many access or move on sheep as I wanted on the private side. The public side of the island that's owned by the state of Hawaii, if you use your tags, you only shoot one male of each species and like four females. So what it so you said you had mentioned there's there's two types of goats. What species are on the island? I guess for private and public. I know. Um, for hunting species, while I was there, it was only the mouflon sheep, and the axis deer. Okay. Um. Now, do they have other species to hunt there, or they actually have turkeys, pheasants, and um, it's a grouse. It looks super super similar to our quail. Oh, okay almost identical, but they called it like a blue-tailed grouse, I think is what they were saying. But yeah, those weren't in season. They're only a November season. But only axis deer. They don't have whitetail or mule nope, deer. No, just axis deer. Like okay, cool, man. Um, now, as far as predators, do they have coyotes, anything? There's like actually no predators. No pre And th do they also don't have snakes, right? No, so I... I was a little worried about that because I come from Rasmus, we have rattlesnakes to watch out for. So I did my research. The only snake they have is the size of an earthworm. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. And, and is that, I don't know if that's a, that's a water snake, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And I mean, we might, we might be wrong, but I, I definitely had heard that, that, uh, what Alaska and Hawaii, um, don't have snakes. And I actually believe there's a country, another country that doesn't have snakes. I'm not sure if it's like New Zealand or, or something like that but that's that's crazy so you would think with that type of terrain which we're going to jump into the terrain in a second but you would think that there'd be snakes there and that's great that they weren't introduced like southern florida with pythons and stuff where they escape zoos and things to to go take over the everglades that's that's really they must have a strict regulation on like pet stores and things there yes it's actually a huge fine big pot with the snakes really well, not that, to own a pet snake while you're there I'm sure with that type of terrain, like once one would get out, especially yeah, it's a super super vulnerable like environment, like ecosystem. Like one wrong thing, and everything's gonna die because they're not they they don't have predators to worry about the birds and even an axis and the move on. There's no predators besides humans. So if you introduce one, it's gonna it's gonna ruin the whole ecosystem. Now I don't know if you know this, but what this is kind of a, a question that I was I was just actually just popped into my head. Are the species that are there are they native? And I know. No. Oh, they're not native. Do you do nope. they have any native species that are there? Um, some of the birds, and that's about it. Oh, what okay. I would, what I understand. Now, were there hogs there also? No, on Lanai there actually isn't any wild hogs. Okay, I bet it's probably they've kept them out of Lanai. Nice, man. That's that's crazy. So it, it you know it's it's obviously it's not dinosaurs but it definitely reminds me of like jurassic park like it's just an, an island and then you put species of wildlife on it <laughs> yeah because it's just crazy how and it's super vulnerable for how it is even though most species there are invasive species 
Man, that's crazy. That's that's really wild. I bet you it's got crazy. You know, I bet you they got mad regulations when it comes to like evasive uh, plants and and bugs and things too. Yeah, I want to say it was like a five or ten thousand dollar fine for owning like a snake or kind of. Yeah, I'm sure a felony will come with that one too. Oh, probably. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. So let me see here. Um, before we go, I want to go into the terrain part of it, but uh, kind of wrapping up here, because um, this is a question Johnny had. I believe this is a question he had for you, and I've seen a couple other people ask it. What would you say roughly if you could just round out what you spent, let's say the whole the whole trip getting there, airport food, the whole shebang, getting your stuff back, what would you say um, would, would you spent roughly? Probably 2500 to three grand. Okay, so I mean, Total. really, about the same as if you were to be like an East Coaster going out to the West. Yeah, well, when I price everything out, the reason I can do it, I realized I could do it is I wanted to do a Utah elk hunt with my bow, and it was actually roughly pretty close to the same price. And what's wild is you have less logistics to get to Utah than what you do to get to Hawaii. Yeah, I could have just... Hopped my pickup and drove yeah, down to that i mean you could have did that you could have did a train bus i mean you could have did a, definitely a lot of options i mean hawaii it's bush plane bush plane and then you had said also that when you got there like getting the meat and stuff back you had to like buy like coolers and and things wouldn't fit on the plane and stuff yeah so to get like the heads back i actually had to cut my skull cap in half Oh, and put it in a tote, and then the tote ended up being a quarter of an inch too tall for the little bush plane. So I had to FedEx it back, which was, you can only FedEx Express off of the island, so two-day shipping is the longest you can do. is about 186 bucks. Well, I mean, that that's not, I mean, that's don't, don't get me wrong, that's a good bit of money, but I mean, that's almost would be what you would char, you know, have to pay here. Yeah, and it was something I wasn't upset of paying. I would have paid more than that just to get it home. But right, right. The meat and stuff we flew home, like my cape and my meat, I had like um, soft, soft coolers you could buy at Walmart. Oh, okay. And we hard froze everything there in Ziplocs, and then wrapped them in Saran wrap, put them in the coolers, and flew them home that way. And they actually stayed frozen. And I went from my freezer when I got home; they're still hard and frozen. Nice. That's that's awesome, man. That's that's uh that's something that if people want to hear more details about, they can definitely reach out, and I'm sure you can give them more details. Cause I oh yeah, anybody anybody's welcome to reach out if they have any questions. I'll help as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, you've went through it, man. And from what you were telling me, I mean, it was one of the things where you were like, they don't have a Walmart, they don't have somewhere where you can just Amazon something. You know, I know when Brian came down here, we had to get his bird back, and we went to Walmart, bought a cheap cooler, filled it with ice, duct taped the mess out of it um and then we literally he did it as a as a uh checked bag you know? yeah we couldn't even get a hard cooler there man that's insane and it we couldn't even find boxes to fedex stuff home we just how lucky the guy was saying would have had a big tote that we could use man that's so wild dude i mean he could make a fortune if he wanted to get some coolers and some other things that maybe you guys couldn't get there or were lacking oh yeah i told him i told him i was gonna the the bush plane told us the little Costco totes are perfect, so I'm gonna I'm gonna order a bunch of them and send them to him just so he has them. Oh, that's nice, man. That's that's nice of you. I uh, that's pretty legit. I'm sure that that's definitely paying it forward for him helping y'all out. So let's talk about this. We we might jump back onto it, but this is something that definitely curious about. Let's talk about 
the terrain. What kind of terrain are you looking like when you go out to an island like this? Okay, so I was severely underprepared. Um, I kind of thought it'd be more like our southwestern Nebraska with the canyons and, you know, passages get pretty deep. Um, I didn't realize when I got there even, flying over it, I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. Um, looks a little open. There's a lot of brush and stuff and trees. But when I got boots on the ground and actually got in there to hunt, it was like actual mountains. Like it was straight up and down shots, um, super, all the volcanic rocks. So as you're like, you're on the edges of these cliffs and the lot rocks are flying down. And I mean, if you took the wrong, wrong step, you're going down and I don't know if you'll get back up. Oh my gosh, man. That's rough. Now, when you prepared for this trip to go out there, were you just kind of like, you know, hey, I'm going to wing it? Or did you kind of like look to see what the terrain was like? Um, I kind of tried to look and see, but I watched as many videos as I could find, but nothing showed that it was that severe. Yeah, and even in the like... pictures and videos I took, it doesn't look that severe. Yeah, it looks like from from pictures I've seen, it definitely looks like it's um, um, like almost kind of out west, you know, Colorado, yeah. Rocky Mountain-ish. Nothing crazy. You could walk up and down it pretty easy, it looks like. But I have one short clip of where I'm ranging a deer down in the bottom. And looking at the video, it was like, oh, I could just walk down that. It's just fine. But when I was ranging, I remember looking over the edge, and it was just like straight. Damn, and I was like, if, if I have to move down, I can't. I have to loop all the way around. Now, when you guys went out, you said you did like a lot of solo hunting, right? Most of my hunting while I was there was solo. Because I know you said uh, the guy that you were with, he was gun hunting, and then you were bow hunting. Yeah, I went with him the first couple of days, and we hiked back in there and got him his ram. And he was kind of struggling to find a good access buck, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go hunt now so that I have time. Because I didn't realize before I got there, but when I was there, the guy told me it's only a 3% success rate for a bow hunter. Ooh. So I realized I needed more time than I allowed myself to originally. So I went out solo, which we weren't going to originally do because it's a little sketchy out there. But I figured if I had best chance of getting it done, I needed to get out and go. Yeah, well, at least you didn't have to worry about snakes and gators or anything. <laughs> at least you, yeah. you just had to worry about monster, jagged, volcanic cliffs and and things like that. <laughs> One extreme to the next, it seems. Huh? Oh, definitely. And at least I don't worry about coyotes after I kill something. <laughs> So let me ask you this, man, and this kind of pertains to this terrain question. If you could go back now to you booking your flight and you had time to prepare, what would you have done physically to probably help you to be – I mean you were successful, but let's just say for it to be less painful is how we'll go with it. I would have loaded my pack probably at 50 or 60 pounds and – been walking with it every night and going to the gym and using like stair steppers and stuff as much as steep angle as you could and just work with that pack and hiking and walking it every day as much as I could. You know, that's what I hear too. You know, I've done a lot of backpack hunting, backcountry backpack hunting, and that's what everyone says. They're like, literally, like, people will be like, well, do this exercise, do that exercise. And at the end of the day, it boils down to the, the stair machine or stair stepper or inclined treadmill or anything with the incline where you're going literally uh you know up and down or the uh walk around every night with your pack even if you live in flat terrain 50 pounds 60 pounds in it constantly walk to get your body accustomed to 
to carrying that because I mean people don't realize like you're using muscles that you don't typically use you know just like when you work out or do a type of you know work or anything like that that requires the same movement yeah and I should I should have postponed this hunt probably another year or two because I had that foot injury before I went with Gabe to Missouri and it's not I haven't figured out full use of my foot yet because the front half doesn't work anymore um caused a lot of pain i should have waited for that aspect of it too because that caused me a lot of issues while i was there but i'm not one to just wait as i could go for it yeah i mean i mean things ain't getting cheaper we'll put put it that way things aren't getting cheaper at least anytime soon so i mean why not jump it up uh, yeah i mean if i waited a year it could have doubled in price it could have been five or six grand for me to go over there. I mean, you might not even been able to go. Like they could have, they could have been so booked up. I mean, especially watching like, you know, meteors done it. You said seek one was over there too. You got everyone going over there. there. I mean, what that does is that puts a, that puts a nice big spotlight on things. You said Joe Rogan. I mean, he's one of the, you know, highest uh, listened to podcasts in like the world right now, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I mean, once it takes off with them, I mean, it might make it to a point where it gets so expensive. The average guy can't go over there and do it anymore. Right. So right now, I mean, it sounds like, you know, yeah, a couple thousand dollars is a lot of money. No one's, but that is something that that's doable. That's, you know, a couple hundred bucks a check or a hundred bucks a check you put back over a period of time. Um, and you could easily go like the average, the average hunter could go do this for sure. Oh, yes, without a doubt. I mean, if you gave yourself time to save up, even over a year period, take every paycheck, take a little bit of money, you'd have enough to go. Now, could you use a card over there, or was everything cash? Yeah, you could use a card over there. So you could literally get you a credit card, pay it off, make sure it's got low interest, everyone that's listening to this, so you don't get 25 30% interest rate, but you could easily you know, use a card, pay it off in increments, and, and it'd be a doable hunt for oh, yeah. sure. That's one thing I would actually recommend because – even like one thing we didn't account for, and you kind of yourself would be expensive over there, but to buy food when you're there is outrageous. Like, I don't know if people that drink like pop, like a 12 pack of pop is about 11 bucks. Oh man. Um, a gallon of milk's $9. I mean, tortilla pack of like six tortillas is four fifty. That's crazy. Did you guys cook any of your, uh, your kills? Yes, we actually did eat axis while we were over there. So, what did you did you eat the goat too? Uh, we tried the goat. It, it, people over there don't like it very much. It's you oh, have really? to put it in the roast. The roast is about the only way people eat it over there. Oh, I got you. Okay, that that makes sense. But I mean, there you would just have to cook it up something that's not as much like time sensitive. Now, was the axis deal? Was that similar to you know mule or uh, or white? I would or? take an axis deer over any kind of deer, elk, or buffalo I've ever eaten. Really tender and, and everything. Tender. There's no gamey taste. Nice. Super easy to cook. It's got good flavor. It takes seasonings really well. Legit, man. Well, since we're talking about axis deer now, we might as well jump down that rabbit hole. We're just kind of jumping around here, but it's an exciting topic. You had mentioned like maturity. So, what do you like? What can you kind of just tell us? I know axis is what you were after. What were you? You were, were you looking to just shoot something with horns? Did you know how do you look at maturity as opposed to how you look at it uh, with game big game in the states? Yeah, so it's kind of weird. It's like. A good mule deer here is anywhere from that four to six range is when they're, you know, they're top maturity. Sometimes they get bigger after that, but a lot of times they'll go into a decline. Um, when I went over there, I was just like, any decent access buck. I didn't want to go and shoot a spike, but you know, anything that 
had some fronts and I was preferring something that had, you know, the top forks that they get. Like uh, anything that's semi decent, I'm going to shoot because I wanted to take every opportunity I could. I didn't want to sit there and pass deer all week and then not shoot one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Dude, I'm going to Hawaii. I'm shooting whatever is legal. I'm, I mean, it's, don't get me and wrong. I'd love a trophy animal, but I'll get you there. I understood now why it's so hard to find a mature axis because they actually don't reach their peak until eight or nine. Oh, wow. So it takes them a lot longer to mature than a deer in the main 48 does, your white tail or mule deer. Gosh, almost a decade. And it's, I mean, what is their, do you know what their lifespan is? Um, They're saying like 14. 14. It's okay. about max. So maturity is about, what is that, two-thirds or so? Yeah. Man, that's crazy. So do you did you hear any crazy hunting stories while you were over there about, like, monster access or anything like that? Or? Yeah, so the guy we stayed with actually had, shot the biggest on the island that's ever been shot. Really? That's crazy. So that one. But he has, so, like, a 30-inch axis. They measure axis just their long time going up. That's how they gauge how big it is. Kind of like they have an overall score too. But their main time, they say 30 inches is like 180, 190 inch mule deer equivalent is how I put it. And that guy had like probably 50 European mount, 30 plus axis underneath his house just hanging out there. Yeah. I mean, he has big, big animals. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, living out there, that's that's pretty legit. You you definitely yeah, made a they good can friend. They hunt year round and shoot them whenever they want. You made a good friend too for life, man. With especially oh, yeah. if you hook them up with a little now. bit of stuff. Yeah, because when we he actually had to FedEx our stuff home for us. We made the shipping label and sent him the shipping label for him to do it. And he actually put extra sheds and a ram skull that he actually shot. And he has a YouTube video. He has YouTube and Instagram and stuff. Texas YouTube video of him shooting that ram with his bow, and he sent that head home with me. Oh, man, that's legit. Do you know his handles and stuff? Yeah, I can actually. Well, when you post podcasts, do you want to put them on there? I can yeah, for them. sure. We might as well. We'll give him a shout-out, and you can send him this this clip. And, uh, you know, what are we? We are 30 minutes into it, so you can tell him about 30 minutes into it. We give him a shout-out. But, no, we definitely will throw his handles and stuff in the – sounds like a great guy, man. Sounds like a – a person in the hunting community that that you love to meet and and you know exchange stories and experiences with for sure. I mean that's. I don't think without him I would not have probably been successful. Oh man, that's I mean, he was a huge impact for helping me out there. I was so far out of my realm and knowing what to do, and I was actually with him the morning. I went hunting with him that morning when I shot my buck. Oh man, that's crazy. We're gonna have to. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to mail you a couple decals and stuff. You could throw it in his box that you're gonna send him. Yes, I will do that for sure. Awesome, man. Well, that's that's legit. I love hearing stuff like that, especially you kind of going into their stomping grounds and him being a pretty avid hunter himself. I mean, that definitely says a lot about him for sure. So let me let's talk about. Um, let me see here. What was I? I don't completely lost my train of thought there. I was uh, gonna wanted to go down a route here. Oh, okay. So with the axis deer. How, what kind of tactics? How are you? How are you going after these? What was kind of your like game plan when you went out there? I mean, are you calling? Are you? Are they rutting? Like, what? What do you kind of? What was kind of like your technique for chasing? So, out there? their main rut is in June. Um, when I was there, they're kind of in a second rut. Some of the bucks were, but not enough to do any calling because you can actually rattle them in. Um, a bunch of people advertise like they have access buck calls. They kind of roar, but the guy that I was with. Helped me said that 
don't buy those and they don't actually work. But rattling will work, but there wasn't enough of them in the rut that we could do that. Okay. Well, I'm definitely. So it was mainly all spot and stuff. We we'd go in these tall bushes that are about five foot tall, and you slowly move through them until you find something bedded down. You know, say it's anywhere from thirty yards to five hundred yards away from you at that point. Legit. And you have to fully sneak them. And I thought, you know, being an avid mule deer hunter where I spot and stock everything, I was like, okay, that's going to be up my alley. I can probably get that done. Right. But I did not realize that axes are about 30,000 times more skittish than, like, a smart whitetail, even. I was going to say, you that sounds like right up your type of hunting. I mean, that's, that's kind of hunting you do in Nebraska. So, what... I guess let's go down that route. What what would be something if you could go back that could have helped you prepare better for that? Um, to to know not to shoot at an axis that knows you're there. Oh, I got you. Okay. So, like even like my release clicking onto my D loop would spook deer. Just that small little click. Now, do you feel like just because they're a you know evasive species that's been put there, and then they're literally getting hunted? Because I mean, if someone's not if someone's not on the island for the resort, they're on the island to hunt them. There's really only two reasons they would be yeah. there. Um, do you feel like it's it's that pressure, or I think I think a lot of it's pressure because they are hunted year round. Um, so they're super their sense they're super aware to everything. They're super tuned in. So if you say an axis buck kind of knew you were there, kind of didn't know you are there, but was like on edge, and you were 30 yards away and you shot and aimed low, you're going to miss that deer by five yards. Now, you don't hunt out of a tree stand, so, you know, you're not really too used to hunting, you know, up and down, right? Yeah, well, besides our angle shots you get and like the big cliffs out here, oh, that's about as angled as I get. So let's see here. All right. So we've talked about, we've talked about the species you're after. We've talked about, um, you know, like, you know, kind of like calling things like that. Uh, we've talked about the price to get out there and logistics. We've talked about, you know, networking is huge, which that's with anything. I mean, that's what service sites about is networking. That's our whole, you know, uniting hunters and promoting conservation. But with that being said, networking's like the in my opinion, one of the best perks we have. So it definitely sounds like networking was, was king and you could have lost a lot of money and wasted a lot of time if you were just like, just trying to be, you know, not utilize your resources while you were there. Yeah, if I didn't network, I could have got over there and not be able to hunt at all. Not had a place to stay, all that. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm actually surprised I haven't asked this yet. Can you tell us, like, tell us about the deer, uh, the axis deer that you, you took? Like, kind of walk us through, like, that hunt, if you could. Okay, so we went out. We woke up at 4.30, which is about two hours before light. And we got to the place that we wanted to sit and spot probably an hour before the sun came up. Because you want to be there super early. So you want to be, you have to beat the deer to where they're going to go. Because um, you won't catch up to them if they're feeding. You have to intercept them because they're just too fast. Even when they're just walking and feeding, they're way fast. Um, so we were sitting there, and we had two small bucks come come by us at like 30 yards right after first light. And we passed those two up because they're just too small. Um, 
and we were sitting there glassing and we see over a ridge three bucks popped up and there was one buck that was probably like seven eight years old but he was super super narrow um he didn't get good growth this year because they're in a they're in like a four-year-long drought right now so the deer are struggling with growth um but the buck that i shot was also with him um and they thought he was about five years old and he's super wide non-typical is what they call them because he's one side is super wavy, he's really wide for an axis, and he didn't get a top fork on the one side. Um, and then there's also another young buck with them. So we saw them, and I actually had a rifle at this point too, just in case, because didn't want to go home empty-handed kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, and they're feeding on this ridge, so we're kind of just watching them to see what they're doing. We didn't know if they were going to take one of the trails that were close enough to us that we could make them move or not. Um, so we were trying to get a read on before we grabbed our stuff and got over there as fast as we could where they couldn't see us. Um, and then they actually took a hard right, which we weren't expecting, and they were coming behind us. And there was no cover behind us. Um, we were on a little hill, and their dirt is like Oklahoma red dirt, but worse. Um, so I was trying to grab my bow. I was laying on my stomach, grabbing my bow and trying to turn over. And he was giving me signals as I was turning over to go faster or slower. I mean, it's probably two minutes by the time I picked up my bow and turned around. Um, and I just slowly inched down this hill into so like knee high grass. And I get to the bottom of this hill and I drew my bow laying on my back with my bow to the side as I was laying down. And the second buck, my buck was coming in first. The second buck at that point had us pegged, staring right at us. So we were like, okay, there's no way I'm going to get this shot off. And my buck went behind a small tree. I was like, this is my only chance I'm going to have to draw, whether it spooks them or not. So I drew back and slowly sat up. And it was, I was probably drawn back for a little while. It was, it was painful trying to draw back laying down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to slowly inch up trying to stay at full draw. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. And my buck walked out from the trees and he's at 57 yards is where I had him range. So I ranged the little trail he was on. And he walked in, I put my pin. So he told me, I would have, if, if he wouldn't told me this, I probably would have lost a buck at some point. Um, you actually don't want to put it behind their shoulder because their stomachs are so much bigger. It pushes their vitals behind their shoulder. So he told me to actually punch it through the shoulder. Because the bone, they don't have strong bones, so an expandable broad head and a light arrow will still go right to the shoulder. So I put it on the shoulder, which felt really weird. And when I hit my release, as soon as my string started to go, that buck looked right at me like he already heard it. Oh, man. And I watched my arrow hit about that 30 yards from him, and I watched him start to duck. And so I was getting kind of worried. This is all happening. Like, you know, it only takes a split second for an arrow to go from 57 to the target. But it all just going slow motion, I felt like. And he actually ducked and spun into my arrow, which then hit him in the neck. So I wasn't super happy about that. But we grabbed another arrow out of my quiver. And they couldn't see us when we dipped down. So we sprinted and slid underneath the fence and got back up there. And he was still... I think only 20 yards away at that point, and I put another one in him right behind his armpit, coring away. 
Man, dude, that is that is intense. I've never laid down and pulled a bow back ever. It sounds like you need to add that to the list of uh, preparations when you go to Hawaii is practice laying down or in a prone position and then being able to draw your bow. You have to be able to shoot a long ways. Like they told me if I get a 100-yard shot with my bow, to take it. Oh, really? Because a lot of the ones they've shot are like 70, 80 yards. Man, that's crazy. So you definitely need to be shooting long range too then. Yes, I definitely recommend like a slider sight. Like I shoot a spot hog fast eddy, uh, two pin. Um, I would de- definitely recommend some sort of slider type. Even if it's a, the guys who shoot a five pin slider, which would probably work really well too. But you definitely need to have something that is movable so you can go past that sixty. So let's kind of jump into that. Um... You know, feel free after I ask this question if there was anything else you want to touch on the hunt. It sounds freaking awesome, man. I, I definitely sounds like it wasn't one where you just went out there and there he was, and then boom, you dropped him, and then you spent all this money to get back home. It definitely sounds like you actually got to hunt them. They weren't giving it to you. You know, you actually had to work for it, and you had to utilize you know local knowledge. Because I mean, who who thinks of that? Shoot him in the shoulder. Uh, take seventy to hundred yard shots. Uh, you know, like those are that's everything that's not preached about here. Exactly, that's like the opposite of every single thing. Like when someone would say something like that on like a Facebook group, you would like laugh and be like, "Oh." That's why, like even like the western, like the hunting muleys, like a lot of guys shoot like that 70, 80 yards, but you don't say that because people here. Will pretty much attack you for it, right? So it's so it's not something I think like a small axis deer is not something you'd necessarily want to take a shot at 100 yards on. And I definitely would never think to put the pin on his shoulder. Dang, that's crazy! Now, how many miles were you in there? Like, cause you you had to pack it out, right? Or did yeah, you guys so have a truck? We had a truck, so we only had to take him a little bit away. Oh, okay, cool. On this one, which is actually pretty lucky, because it's. It's a pri- it's private ground, and he guides for that company usually. He's one of their main guides, so he was able to take his pickup in there. Um, but, like, my buddy Trent's ram that we shot, it was probably, like, a mile and a half, which doesn't sound crazy. I mean, that was, like, four or five times going up and down that really steep stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a lot longer than a mile and a half. I've seen some of your videos on that. Now, how, how was that? Was that? Was that pretty cool, too, with the goat, or...? With him taking that yeah, they're out. actually very, very small. So I don't know if people that know cattle or not, if this is the best way I have it. So like when you work your calves and you're like branding calves, they're about that size. Wow. Like a six month old calf. Like they're not much. Like I can grab the front legs and the back legs of that ram and just pick it up. Oh man. Well, I mean I guess that's cool when you're when you're that far in and you gotta pack it out. And you said you could kill unlimited amount of rams? Uh yeah, his rifle tie only let him let him have one ram and two U's, but on the bow side, on the private side, you can shoot as many as you want. Nice. Now, real quick, since we were talking about rifles, I'm just curious and I wanted to get this question in here. Um, was it like did you have to jump through a lot of hoops when you, you guys took firearms over there? Actually, not really. So we had to obviously do like the TSA locks on the case. Right, right. Um, but it was actually really smooth the whole way through. Um, you have to sign your papers. They obviously did all their background check stuff. I mean, it didn't take us too long. They're super good about it. Um, one thing that another surprise thing that caught us is we actually had to register the gun when we got to Hawaii with the police department with a money order. You couldn't do a cash check, a card. 
had to be a money order. Dang, man. So we had to call home and have a money order sent to the police station within 48 hours so that he could go check in his rifle. And I do fingerprints and a background check. It's actually registered there now also. Well, I guess that's good if you guys ever go back there. Now, would that also, I mean, any, I guess any type of weapon, if you were to go back with your concealed, you'd still have to re-register? Yep. yep. Okay. And, if, and you have to make sure to take all your ammo there because you can't get ammo there. Oh, really? Now, do they sell firearms there? Um, very rarely. The guy that we stayed with is trying to get a new handgun, um, for a Montana hunt he's going to do, um, for a bear hunt. And he want to get a handgun, but he has to actually order it from the main 48 and jump through a bunch of FFL hoops. Thank you. And it'll cost him about three times as much. Are you guys going to try to, is he going to come try to get on a muley out there with you? Yeah, he's thinking maybe next year or the year after that he wants to come to Nebraska and try a muley. So I told him anytime he wants to, he's welcome. Dude, talk about a connect, man. That's that's awesome. That's that's one of my favorite things about hunting is the people you meet along the way, especially when you meet that good one, you know? Well, yeah, and then, like, after we got my axes, we got it back to the house because we actually cleaned it in his front yard. Like, we didn't gut, we didn't gut any of the animals we shot there. We actually caved them out on the ground and cut meat off. Um, but all, like, the people walking through the neighborhood... Um, they all stop by and tell me congratulations, fist bumps and hugs and nice. like they're all super, super supportive. That's awesome, man. It's like I mean, I probably hugged the guy with like we probably hugged ten times before we actually took a picture of the deer. Dude, that's what I like, man. That's what I like to hear. When I go on hunt links, that's how it is. I went on a hunt link last year in Ohio and I was not expecting I was expecting to go back to my hotel room and just be alone for the evening. you know, my host was like, No, man, you're coming to Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like, what? And I literally went and had dinner with like his grandparents and was hugging his mom and his cousins and all that. And I'm like, man, this is like, this is like what hunting's about. Like no one's yep. turning up a nose or, you know. That sounds like when Gage might hear, yeah, Thanksgiving with my family. <laughs> Dude, those are, those, like those relationships are, are crazy and these people aren't even in service side. So I love to see that, you know, cause that's what hunting's about right there. That's culture yeah. and community, man. The, the killing and, and the. The sportsman part of it, that to me, that's all secondary to, to that, that culture. The relationships and experiences you get with people, I think, are the, the most important part of hunting for me. Yeah, me too, man. That's what keeps you around because I was talking to – who was I talking to? I think I was talking to Hunter Farrier, Spring Legion, We and he had mentioned he was like – no, i tell you who it was. It was uh, Muscadine Bloodline. It was Gary Stanton, and he had said you'll get people that they'll go out, they'll buy their license, they'll kill a bunch of stuff. They don't get to experience that culture and community. They get bored of hunting or they feel accomplished or they're done with it. They put it on the shelf. They call it a day. They sell all their gear. And not only have they taken away from conservation, um, but now there's no license money coming in for conservation. And then you have X amount of animals that are gone. So that culture and community definitely is a backbone of, of hunting conservation for sure. Yes, I agree with that without a doubt. It's important. I think the most important aspect of it all. Now, I think I asked you all the questions that I had. We're going on about about 47 minutes, almost 50 minutes. Um, do you want to touch on anything that maybe I, I forgot to mention? I know it's a lot to cover in an hour, but um, you know, I wanted to give the listeners a good you know, 
honestly, man, the only thing I've ever seen about Hawaii was on Meat Eaters. So that's where I was kind of like, hey, I'm, I think this would be great to, to do a podcast on, you know, from somebody that we know personally. And, you know, you're not an actor or anything like that. So we definitely get that real perspective. Yeah, I mean, just if somebody's gonna go do it, and especially with a boat, with a rifle, it, it's super doable. I think like most people go there and get at least an animal down. When you have you shoot longer, you know, it's quite a bit. Easier. You're not bashing a rifle hunters, like it's still a challenge. Right, right. No, we get it. I mean, it, I mean, taking a three three hundred plus yard shot though is different than taking a seventy yard with a bow. I mean, you you even yeah. said he ducked as soon as you. They're so finicky. It's no, I get yeah. it. Well, sure. even I was talking to Lee from Seek One, and his duck, his arrow at 30 yards, and it, no chance of it hitting it. Dang. Did they end up getting anything while you were there? They got two. Nice. They, him and Drew both got one. I think they used rifles for theirs, and then they're on the main island of Maui now, hog hunting, I believe. Nice. And did you know they were going to be there, or that just random? No, I had no idea. Um, the guy just said... You know, I talk about my connections I made with guys that come here to hunt, and he actually came back out and knocked on the door. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? And he's like, well, I saw you in some Nebraska videos. He's like, so you know these people? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I have these people coming out this weekend, and they say you guys have a mutual friend. I didn't know who it was. And he told me Steve was coming out. I'm like, oh, yeah, they hunt with, you know, Chris and another friend, Andy, that knows them. So, I mean, it was just... It's crazy how they, it has happened to line up at the same time. Nice. That's legit, man. And you said you like them? Oh, super, super humble guys. Great guys. I mean, watching their videos, you know, they're all about the experience and relationships and, you know, very religious. I thank God about everything, you know, and it's just they're the same way in person, which is really refreshing to see that because, you know, some people can put an act on for a camera. Yeah. No, for sure, especially nowadays when everyone has a camera, you know, you don't, you don't really know who, you know, that's why I actually took a step back from filming just because I was like, you know, I just, I felt like I was personally going in the wrong direction of like always having to, to show out and, you know, you always got to one up yourself and you always got to make videos better and things like that. And I'm just like, you know what, I, I'm a chill guy. I like to just go in the woods sometimes and just sit there. I'm not even worried about killing stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just I, the scenery there while I was having was something to take in all by itself. Yeah. I've seen those I mean, pictures. Like, they were incredible, man. Yeah. Like the oceans in the background, of the pictures and there's palm trees everywhere. And it goes from crazy open mountains to super thick forest where you can't even see 10 yards. I, my, my one takeaway is somebody wanted to go boat hunt axis. Yeah, yeah. What's your takeaway? You do everything 50 times slower and quieter than you would any other species. Gotcha. It's painfully slow and painfully quiet, but it would be the one thing now I realize is the only way you're going to get it done. Nice, man. That's, that's some solid advice in this episode. It actually is encouraging me to try to get out to Hawaii and do – do this I, I mean i love the bow hunt well we'll see we'll see how much practice i can get in if i because you said that you were like packing your bags pretty much like the night before right yeah i, I went through and repacked everything like i didn't get packed until like 12 o'clock the night before i was going down at colby so we stayed there for a night a little bit closer drive to the airport then i got there and we repacked everything again just trying to you know keep everything under 50 pounds as few check bags as we could 
Yeah, it was it was an intense trip. It was intense. It sounds like it. It sounds like it was a, a trip of a lifetime. Now, are you going to go back and do it again, or do you feel like you got your uh, your fix there? Um, it sounds like I'm either going back. Um, if I go back to hunt, it'll probably be in June with the guy that moved to Colorado that I know is from the island. He wants to go back and hunt and invite me with him, so I might go back in June. Um, the guy I was staying with wants me to come back in February, not for hunting, but they do like a 3D competition and they raise money for the kids on the island that like get cancer and it's like big fundraisers oh, nice. and stuff. He has a lot of helping people with that. Like kids get cancer and they will raise thousands of dollars for them and he does all that charity kind of stuff, helping people out. So he wants me to come back for that if I can, if flights aren't too expensive. So we'll see how many times I end up going back. <laughs> nice, man. You got a family over there. Dude, I'd, I'd love to tag along with you if you go. Uh, next year, we want to try to do that Python Bowl in Florida, which is, I think it's like August or end of July. Uh, but I actually don't think I have plans for June. If you end up going back there, well, we're going to chat because, you know, if there's room, I'd love to tag along. Oh, there's always room. Now, let me ask you, this is something that we didn't actually dive in on. Can people just go to the Hawaii FW, like I keep saying FWC because I'm in Florida, but the game site to uh, to, to apply for their, their tags? Yep, so that's how I applied for my tags. Um, you apply for your tags. I think it took about two months. They gave us our season dates um, if you want to do it that way. Or you can get online. You have to do uh, an exemption ticket for your hunter safety um so i messed up my first time doing that and i put my bow hunter safety in thinking like i'm gonna bow hunt i need my bow hunter safety they actually want to take your rifle hunter safety oh i got you okay you put your rifle hunter safety and get your exemption number then you go on their website you put in your exemption number and you buy your license um if you buy your license you can call the company to see how much the company they have like their own game office for the private side and call them and you can book dates for a rifle unit if you wanted to or like the bow units you get to hunt all of them um you have to deal with some other hunters sometimes but you know that's just part of it um but you can hunt that year round so you can pretty much just show up as long as you have already previously figured out your place to stay which i would do probably six months in advance at least um and just show up there pay your fee to give you your license and you just go hunt nice. on the private side. That's a year-round thing, so you can do that whenever you want. If you don't want to go through the whole buying tags and having a four-day season, so you have different options for that. Yeah, for sure. Which, if anybody has questions about that, because it's kind of confusing, they can reach out to me. I can try to walk them through it as best I can. Nice, nice, man. Well, that's all the questions that I have, Colin. Did you – do you feel like we covered pretty much everything we could? Yeah, I think so. There's so much. You know, you could probably talk about it for days. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to get you on again, and let me know if you head back out there. But uh, that's everything that I had. So for the the listeners here that uh, want to reach out to you, if they have any questions about Hawaii or they want to follow you this hunting season, where can they reach you at? Um, Facebook, um, Colin Kate, you can find me on the service side page. I just made a post on there. It shows all the access. Um, Instagram is muleyguy underscore Colin. Uh, you can message me there too. I'm on there quite a bit also. Uh, those are probably the best ways to reach me. Awesome. Awesome, brother. Well, 
Dude, I really appreciate you jumping on, man. Um, that's all I have. So we'll definitely talk soon, and uh, we'll have to get you on for another one, and we'll definitely have to see. You guys have mule deer season about to open, right? One month, September 1st. One month, September. Is that the earliest thing? Do you have antelope too? or? Uh, my antelope, antelope opens about the same time here. About the same time. So I'll, my, I'll do an antelope hunt in October. And I think, elk, is it, I mean, you guys don't have elk there, right? But do you, are you? Oh, we have a bunch of elk here. Oh, do you? Yeah, but you're um, to draw a bull tag is a once in a lifetime tag. Oh, have you drew one yet? Not yet. Well, we're gonna get you back on, man. Next month we're gonna be doing a lot of stuff bow hunting. I'd love to get you back on, especially as an avid bow hunter. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about your expertise. But, dude, great trip, man. That was that was awesome. I loved hearing about it. Um, hopefully the listeners did too. And definitely opens your eyes to a, a, a different perspective of hunting and it's definitely something i personally am gonna to have to save a little money back and, and try to do it at least once perfect thanks man thanks for having me on i'm glad to talk about anything people need any advice on awesome well you guys are listening to the white tail theories podcast and we will see you on the next one